welcome back. This is our Brooklyn Bites, episode 142. I'm Stephanie. I'm Leon. Now, Leon, what's been going on? We were off last week. Yeah. Took a little break. A little breather. End of summer, back to school slash break. (laughs) Sure. That sounds good. What's happening? Uh, Not much. Playing games, doing my usual thing. When you say usual thing, what does that consist of? Some gaming. Okay. How about movie watching? <laughs> I've toned down the movie watching. Really? Yeah. Taking my foot off the gas. I've been trying to really catch up on TV stuff because the movie stuff has sort of taken over my viewing time. Mm-hmm. So I thought, let me catch up on all the TV shows I've been neglecting while I'm watching all these movies. But that hasn't really worked out so well. So I think the gaming has taken over. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. Well, we only have, unfortunately, 24 hours in a day. Mm -hmm. If there's only a way you could watch a movie or TV show and play games at the same time. Well, really, if there was a way that I could just pause time while I'm enjoying these other things and then resume the day when I'm done. Now, how do you know that people aren't already doing that? It's invisible to me. Because time would pause and it would restart, would Mm -hmm. you even know it? No, you wouldn't know. Probably not. Right. Your perception would be halted, too. Mm Mm-hmm. So I think you would maybe know if like when time unpaused, if like your cup in front of you was in a different spot. <laughs> Who would do that? Is somebody coming in to move your cup around? Yeah, like if someone whoever stopped the time, like just rearranged all your furniture or something, mm-hmm. then like right before your eyes, it would just all change. Uh, well, if you had the ability to pause time mm-hmm. and you use that time to rearrange furniture, <laughs> that would be a horrible use of that technology. Good point. Unless you were just some kind of quantum prankster or something. Yeah. (laughs) No, I do simple things like play games and Mm -hmm. watch TV sometimes. Okay. Yeah, I've been really digging that Horizon game on PS4. Yeah, you've been telling me it's been pretty good. You've been cracking away at it. How Mm -hmm. many hours do you think you've sunk into that game? I'd have to check my save game, but I'm going to say at least 40 hours so far. Wow. I feel like that game is almost tailor-made for mm-hmm. you because it has robot dinosaur kind of creatures. Yeah. And it also has a lot of bow and arrow shooting, <laughs> yes. which I know you're into. Sure. So I can see why maybe you became sort of addicted to it. Yeah. It's a fun game, fun world. You can do the game in any kind of order you like. It's got that sort of open RPG quest approach. You can travel to different places. You can do side quests. You can do the main storyline. You can dig into special dungeons that you discover. So there's a lot of that type of action. But I'm trying to do as much as I can in the game. I'm not the type to rush through it. I want to see everything if I can, which means I've got a lot more time to spend in there. How the graphics look? Uh, it looks good. I, I don't really have any complaints. Uh, I've got a standard PS4. I don't have a PS4 Pro, and I don't have a 4K TV. But I hear this is one of the games that benefits from either one of those. Mm -hmm. Like if you've got a PS4 Pro, it's got enhancements to take advantage of the extra horsepower, but it seems to play fine. Hmm, Cool. But apart from that, I did have time to play a different game too. I had something that I've been meaning to check out for a while. Now, do you like Star Fox? Um, you know what? Do you like rail shooters Uh, in that type of format? They're okay. They're okay. Like Panzer Dragoon, maybe? I'm not a big fan of them, but... I don't hate them either. Like, I remember playing... Well, Space Harrier is, like, one of my favorites. Okay, so you'd put that in the same category? I would. Okay. And I liked um, Sylphid. I thought it was pretty good. Mm-hmm. 
Um, you know, Pan's Dragoon was all right. Yeah. I didn't love that one too much, but it was fun. Okay. Well, as a PlayStation owner, there were a few such options. I mean, you didn't have those Re- games Is Res another one? Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. yeah it's okay. Like Res is probably very closely related to Pan's Dragoon. Mm-hmm. Back in the year 2000, there was a game that came out that could fit into this category called Vanark. Now, you might not have heard of this game. I've never heard of it. A game that was published by Jalico in the U.S. And this is pretty much a sci-fi space-themed shooter. And you get a little intro in the beginning. It's the year 2200. And humanity now lives on Mars. Something happened on the Earth such that people were forced to move to Mars. And the intro shows asteroids crashing down on Mars. And there's like a space battle trying to stop the asteroids. There's been some type of experiments going on on Mars as well. You're part of the Mars Defense Force, and you have to get to the bottom of what's going on. Like, there's these new creatures showing up on Mars, and like, what's going on here? What is all this? You have a ship that you pilot, and you can be configured with different types of weapons. You've got a missile pod or a wide laser, a laser cannon or a blade laser type of thing. And it also gives you a choice of a wingman. And you can have different types of wingmen accompany you on your mission. Two of them are available initially. One of them is a 17-year-old girl named Lynn. You get this little bar graph that shows, like, what they can all do. And, like, here's what they're good at. And her specialty is enemy analysis. And there's, like, another guy called Morton who seems to have... Morton. Yeah, he seems to have better combat experience, Uh whatever that means. Throughout all the missions, you get two more eventually unlocked. Uh, There's a spy named Dio who gives you information about the enemy project to make organisms that can survive in space. And this is part of the plot that's revealed through the course of the game. And uh, another guy called Randall who looks like a robot of some kind, I think. But he's got some type of exotic blood type in his bio. Like when you select the different characters, they show you like a little uh, information about them. And he's got some kind of weird protein, like chemical that's in plays of his bloodstream. So maybe he's like enhanced human or something like that. Now, you can choose all these different things. But to be honest, I couldn't really tell a big difference between any of them. The default weapons worked fine. So I kind of stuck with those throughout most of the missions. The game is broken up into different acts. So, you know, you get a mission... You explore this particular area, you go through and fight different types of creatures. Usually there's some type of boss encounter along the way. Then you go back to your ship or your station and the next mission brief and so on. And it kind of repeats like that. A couple of different difficulty selections, easy, normal, and hard. And then something called auto, which I think is like an aim assist, probably auto targets, enemy ships and stuff like that. In between... These different missions, these shooting sections, is a chance to walk around the ship. You can interact with the crew. Very kind of Resident Evil-looking presentation. Pre-rendered rooms with all the characters are just polygon graphics. So it looks very similar to that style. There's also an extra crew member, this super-friendly robot. He's like this uh, floating droid thing. He plugs into my ship during each of the launch sequences, kind of like R2-D2. And he makes comments during the missions and stuff. Initially, you got to go through it and do like a simple training mission. It's really uh, stuff like demoing out the controls and flying through rings and shooting down enemy uh, drones and things like that. Then the commander who comes up on this main view screen, he sends us to find this enemy base. 
the base is called Zero Field through this swamp-like area. There's like a lot of exotic trees and there's dragonflies and flying fish and bees that blow up if you go close to them. Mm. Those are just some of the typical enemies you run into. A mid-boss fight is this giant fish that floats in the air. Mm-hmm. I know how much you love robotic fish in your games. Yeah, a little Darius in there. Definitely see that kind of influence. He's got missile launchers on the side. And the fight at the end is with this giant wasp who shoots out of the stinger that he's got. The next mission takes you to like an ocean region. Naturally, you run into things like enemy subs and attack sharks. But before the mission starts, there's like a little mission briefing that explains like why you're going there or what you expect to find. As you're flying through this ocean area, you see like a lot of ancient ruins and Greek columns and stuff. And the briefing says the engineers who terraformed this part of Mars, Mars doesn't naturally have oceans. These were like created because there was this process to make it more like Earth. And uh, it says the engineers were nostalgic about Greece. So they put some like columns there. (laughs) I'm like, really? That's, I guess that's the best thing to come up with. Yeah. So, uh... I go to this region and I'm flying over the air, but eventually you actually get to dive into the ocean too. Like as you're flying along, you get a warning from your co-pilot that says, look out, lava rocks ahead. And you just see like flying lava in the sky. So you dive into the ocean to avoid it. And a good chunk of the level happens underwater. Do things react as if it were underwater? Like do your bullets slow down or your torpedoes? I don't think your bullets do, but definitely your ship motion feels a little more slowed down mm. yeah okay the mid-boss is some kind of flying cuttlefish so somehow more fish yeah more fish you know even though you're in the water for a good part of it they force you above the water to fight this boss even mm. though he looks like a fish he's floating in the air the main boss is like this big turtle creature with like this super long neck picture a Loch Ness monster but it's got a turtle shell on its back this is the mission where you end up rescuing this guy Randall Turns out he was booby-trapped. So he was captured by the enemy. Upon bringing him back to your base, you find out he's got some kind of bomb or something inside of him. There's like this little mini-game that gets introduced while he's in sickbay getting examined by the medical team. You go into like this maze game where you have to guide this ball through a maze without touching any of the walls. And there's like obstacles moving around too. And if you get to the exit successfully, you disarm the bomb. Hmm. If you don't, something explodes outside the ship and your attack craft gets damaged in some way. Do you feel like that fits in to the game? Does it always feel really out of place? It's a little weird. It's a little forced, I think. Mm -hmm. Because it doesn't really match the play style of the rest of the game. It's just kind of this arbitrary kind of maze thing that you got to do. It's, I guess, just an attempt to keep things interesting. In the next mission, you go to like the desert region And again, they change things up. You're not flying your usual ship. You've got a hover bike. Your mission on this one is to infiltrate this geothermal energy plant. And on the way there, spiders and walking robots and giant centipedes come out and attack. Once you reach the plant, there's this gate and this giant robot tank comes out. Simple little fight, but once inside, I make my way through the base and there's another giant flying fortress dropping mines and it's firing these electrical attacks not a bad level because you're hovering over the land you don't have the ability to like go up and down and like dodge things now you're kind of restricted a little bit 
But the next act kind of goes back to the same kind of formula, except that now there's a portion where you got to go underground. To get to the enemy base, we have to go through these underground tunnels, but they're filled with hot magma. (laughs) There's enemies here, but most of the action is avoiding these falling rocks and shifting stalagmites and things like that. Until we reach a, a portion where this giant worm that lives in the magma has to be defeated. So he comes out and attacks and then dives back down. Also sends like more mines my way and big waves of lava to avoid. Next, I fly into this tunnel to face one of the more interesting bosses in this game, which is this giant octopus brain. <laughs> The tentacles have to be blown off. Still keeping with the fish theme. Yeah. And uh, you have to avoid its electrical attacks. But then also, once you manage to shoot off all of the arms, it starts attacking with I-beams. The final form that you have to blow up to finish it off. So at this point, we find out, well, now we've got to go into space to face the enemies that have been hurling these meteors towards Mars and find out, like, well, what's going on here? Why is this happening? The target is this organization called X-Lab. I find out that one of the team members has worked as an X-Lab researcher in the past. We confront her about it and ask her, like, hey, is this true? And she's like, yeah, but that shouldn't matter because that's in the past and I'm done with that part of my life and I'm here to help. (laughs) So they introduce these little random story elements, but it doesn't really seem to amount to much. We're then sent to explore this derelict ship that's in space And there's a three-minute counter that pops up, and I have to do it all within three minutes. But there's really not much to see here. You just go to, like, three different doors. You see a couple of things. You see, like, a dead astronaut fall towards you, kind of like this jump scare moment. And another part where you go to the ship's uh, cockpit where you see a damaged robot there. And then the robot that's with you gets all mad about it because he's like, hey, how dare they mess up a robot? We're going to get him back for this. Mm-hmm. It's kind of pointless. It doesn't really add much. Maybe they try to pad out the game a little bit? I guess. I mean, the game is super short as it is. Mm-hmm. And this really doesn't add a whole lot to it because these things are all done pretty quickly. We do find out, though, that there are these space organisms that are threatening Mars, and they're the result of this X-Lab. And so now we have to go through space to get to their base, and uh, we have to shoot our way through an asteroid field. I have to fight some mech suits and some fighter ships flying around. There's this giant battleship that shows up. I have to strafe the ship to knock off its cannons first, and then I can attack the bridge of the ship, and that ultimately destroys it. Turns out that that's just the mid-boss for this level. I then have to go on to destroy an even bigger boss, who is yet another fish-looking thing, (laughs) Uh, but this time out in space. This particular mission was not that great. I thought the movement felt a little bit restricted. It still kind of continued that rail shooter format, but meanwhile, you're in open space, Mm-hmm. And I didn't really have that freedom of movement to be able to just move in any direction you wanted. You're still stuck to a straight line, sort of, but yet you were able to like look around you? Except when I got to the boss areas. Like mm-hmm. When I got to the boss stages, then I was able to sort of move around, but it felt kind of flat. The problem was also that the draw distance seemed very limited. So the large enemy ships were kind of hard to see unless you were really close to them. And that didn't really give you enough room to kind of maneuver and line up your attacks well. So, I don't know. I didn't really care for that mission too much. We find out that our mothership was lost during this space battle. So now we're kind of on our own. 
And now we're getting closer to the enemy uh, base. Almost like a Death Star attack. The enemy weapon station has this big circular structure. It's almost like a giant pinwheel. And it's a pretty simple attack plan. Like, just fly in, and we fly very close to it. We have to destroy these power modules in the center, and then destroy these energy projectors that are kind of on the outside of the ring, and then fly into the structure of the ship itself, the station, very much like, I guess, Return of the Jedi, when you have to fly into the Death Star, Mm -hmm. the second Death Star, to attack the core. And uh, that core is guarded by this alien commander, this kind of space snake man. There's a whole segment where you got to take on that creature and he attacks with a variety of different things. He's throwing like space debris out and he's like shooting at you and all this other stuff. But the weird thing is, and this is pretty much the finale of the game too, you pretty much defeat him and then the core is left unprotected at that point. But for some reason, your robot buddy pretty much says, all right, I'll take it from here. Uh, You can escape and I'll handle it. And you end up ejecting or leaving the ship, and then your robot buddy flies the ship into the core to destroy it. So he sacrifices himself? Uh, Yeah, he kind of did. But it's just interesting to me that you sort of don't even get to be like the hero. Your super happy robot buddy gets to do it, and he's really the true hero. Wasn't this the same robot that was mad because his like partner got killed? It, or it one was. Of his kind or something? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. But overall, I mean, for a PS1 game, I thought this was kind of a nice-looking game. Fast action, a lot of different environments. Some of the levels have, like, branching pathways. So sometimes you'll be told by your co-pilot, oh, there's a split up ahead. Which way do you want to go, left or right, you know? Yeah, that's nice. Um, They'll advise you uh, which way is, like, safer. So if you want to play it safe, you can go in that direction or you can go in the opposite direction if you want, like, a little more challenge. But in terms of story and presentation, it just feels a bit rushed and unfinished. Um, There's no voice dialogue in the game. Oh, wow. So during a lot of these sequences where you're just walking around on your ship talking to your crew, it's just, you know, read the dialogue that's printed at the bottom of the screen and it's dead silent. (laughs) So it feels like they could have maybe put a little more effort into that part of it. A lot of the lines are kind of awkward and doesn't sound like a natural language. Do you think it was just bad translation? or Maybe. Maybe it was just rough, and they didn't really put that final coat of paint on it mm-hmm. to make it sound like more natural. For instance, like there's a speech that the alien gives when he shows up. It, technically, he's not really an alien, if I understand the plot of this game correctly. <laughs> so he comes on the screen, and he says, To all of humanity, cease all futile attempts at resistance. He goes on to say, We choose Mars as the Holy Land. For a new race to take the place of you monkeys who only know how to destroy each other. The punishment for destroying the Holy Land is the destruction of the last hope of all humanity. The destruction of Mars itself. So this all sounds very convoluted and I don't really understand what he's going for here. What it sounds like to me is that a group of scientists, these X-Lab guys, they create this spacefaring race, these beings that we're fighting against who are stronger than humans because humans destroyed the Earth and now they've moved to Mars, but they want to destroy us because we wrecked Earth. To me, that doesn't make sense. Like, we destroyed the Earth, so we're going to destroy Mars because you guys wrecked Earth. It just doesn't add up. I don't really get it. But anyway, I think it's not helped by the stifling dialogue, too. I think if things were a little more clear, it might have made more sense. I don't know. That's my main complaint, really, more Mm -hmm. than anything. 
But that doesn't really affect the shooting action. As a shooter, I think it's a fine game. It's not too bad. It looks pretty good. So it feels a little bit like a Star Fox game? More or less. Yeah, Yeah, I think it's got that style to it. Now, this was published in the U.S. by Jalico. It was developed by some Japanese team called BitTown. They also released games in the Sidewinder Jet Combat series in the U.S. that was known as Lethal Skies, which also came out on PlayStation. It was released in Japan as Astro Trooper Vanark. And Vanark is the team's name. They don't really explain what it means or why it's called that, but that just happens to be what it is. That originally came out in 1999, published in Japan by Asmic Ace. Hmm. Now, I've always liked how certain Japanese titles would get those dramatic prefixes. Like, they wouldn't just call it Vanark. They called it Astro Trooper Vanark, you know? They always have to add that little extra something to it, which I think is good for some of these titles. You know, it gives you, like, an idea of what it's supposed to be about. If you wanted a copy of this game, I checked it out on eBay. Not very many on eBay sold at all. Very few to pick from. Uh, The U.S. version seems to be somewhat hard to find. Hmm. Copies sold between $65 to $90. Wow. Yeah. Now, the Japanese version is much more reasonable. Uh Only $18 to $20. And it's perfectly playable in Japanese. I mean, even though the English dialogue is kind of inane, it doesn't really affect the ability to play the game. Uh So I would probably recommend that if you just wanted to get it just to mess around with it. Well, it's a short game. So you really want... If you're spending like $90, you might be disappointed. I'd say so. It takes like three or four hours. Yeah, if you're spending $90, you're getting it because it's a rare, collectible, hard-to-find mm-hmm. type of game. I don't remember this game ever in a store. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. it, but then again, looking at the cover and knowing what this game is about, it's probably not something I would have bought anyway. Uh-huh. It looks kind of like a budget game release. You know, for the time, that game style seemed a little outdated. Mm-hmm. I would not have been surprised if this was part of the simple 1500 series, but it it wasn't. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm not sure I would recommend it necessarily, but I think if you like these rail shooter type games, then, you know, it's worth a look. I think they could be fun. Like Total Eclipse Mm -hmm. was another one. That was an early one, yeah. Yeah. Now, I noticed I'm looking through some, like, photos of this game and video, Mm -hmm. and it says Mars Defense Force. Right. Now, is there any sort of overlap with Earth Defense Force? (laughs) You might be tempted to think that, but I don't think so. Mm. Okay. Asmic Ace. Mm -hmm. That's the little pink dinosaur guy? I think so. Yeah. Do you know if they made any follow-ups to this? this... As far as I know, they didn't. Huh. I don't think so. I think this game is pretty much the only title. Interesting. All right, so I played something else, too. I went back into the time machine here, and... (laughs) Played an old arcade classic mm-hmm. called Tasmania, one of your favorites, right? Wow, I don't know that I even know this game. I didn't know it either. I was kind of goofing around with you when I showed you this game uh-huh. originally. How do you not know about this one? It's like a classic. Right. I actually didn't know about it. I was watching it when they had the Starcade Marathon on Twitch recently. Mm-hmm. This was one of the games they were playing, and I'm like, Tasmania? Like, I don't remember ever playing that. What a peculiar game to choose to put on that show. But yeah, right? I was like, let me fire it up. It looked like something I'd be interested in. And, uh, you know, I gave it a go, played it a little bit. It's a top-down shooter, very similar to like a Berserk mm-hmm. type of game. Uh, you're this weird, green, goofy-looking creature. And uh, it almost reminds me of a Gossamer from Bugs Bunny. Like, you know that red furry guy? <laughs> okay. kind of looks like that, but he's green. Uh-huh. Now, I don't know what he's supposed to be, but... 
the marquee art for it, he looks like some kind of like wolf or something. Mm. And maybe that's the Tasmanian devil. Is that what that creature is supposed to look like? I, don't uh, know. I guess that's what they're going it's for. It's spelled T A Z Z dash mania. Right. So I I don't know. I don't know the the lore of the Tasmanian devil, but <laughs> it makes even less sense because the enemies you have to fight don't really tie into like earth creatures or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess some things do, but so the basic concept of this game is you're this green creature, you have a gun, you're in this room, it's a stationary room with the walls closing in on the size of you. Like every second, you know, they get a little closer, a little closer. And you have these two doors on the top and bottom, and you have to collect what they're called little hoppers. Mm -hmm. And you have to collect these guys scattered on the screen. And once you collect them all, the doors on the top and bottom open up, and then you can escape the room. Okay. These little hopper guys remind me of the characters from Fast Freddy, Mm -hmm. I think that was, on the 2600. Mm -hmm. Uh, They also look like the Fry Guys from McDonald's, like that little... Sort of like umbrella shaped with two legs. Yeah. Sort of thing. Do they have sneakers too? I don't remember. They, the pixels were so small. Yeah, you can't tell, right? Tell. Okay. Yeah. Actually, you're not collecting them. You're shooting them. Mm-hmm. So you want to shoot these guys. Now, the thing is, there's another set of enemies in your way. Because like these hopper guys don't shoot at you or anything. They're just kind of stationary. Mm-hmm. So uh, they send other creatures out at you. And these guys will attack you. And there's like... I don't know, 10 different types of enemies, but each stage has their own enemy. So like, for instance, on the first stage, the enemy is called faces Mm -hmm. and it's just like these weird drawn pixel faces that come after you. So you just like, everyone has their patterns. You got to learn them. When you shoot those things, they do regenerate. So you have to kind of do a little bit of both. You have to shoot these stationary hopper guys and then you also have to guard yourself and shoot these other things that are coming at you. Mm -hmm. And then clear the level and then go on to the next one and then escape to the door before the walls close in right Mm -hmm. and so like the shooting part is a little tricky because there's two ways to attack you have your eight-way joystick and one fire button and then you also have a bomb button so the way you shoot is you can tap the button and move in the direction you want to shoot so it's not like a dual stick shooter in that way you have to actually move in the direction Mm -hmm. another thing is you can hold down the button and when you move the joystick, it'll shoot like a rapid fire. But when you hold down the button, your character doesn't move. He stands still. Mm. So you can kind of almost do shoot in eight directions sort of thing. And you don't have to worry about walking into an enemy or anything like that. Mm. So I but guess at least you're vulnerable because you're standing still now. A little bit like Berserk then. Yeah, well, Berserk, I don't think you can stand still and shoot, right? Don't you have to always move and shoot? I thought if you hold the fire button down and you just move the joystick, it would just shoot in those directions. Okay, I'm not aware of that, but it's possible. Yeah. All right, yeah, I got to check that out, actually, next time I play Berserk. (laughs) (laughs) If I'm recalling correctly. Yeah, it's possible. Mm -hmm. Your bullets are short range, too. So you can't cheat and, like, sort of stand at the bottom of the screen and just keep shooting upwards. Yeah. Because you only have, like, a little bit of distance in front of you. So you sort of have to chase around these characters. As the walls get closer, you can use that to your advantage because your bullets ricochet off the walls. Mm. The one good thing is when the walls get that close, you can sort of clear the board even faster because your bullets can ricochet and bounce. It kills everything a little quicker, but the walls also speed up a little bit the more of the hoppers that you kill on each level. Mm-hmm. You also have every three stages, a bonus stage. It works the same way where the walls are closing in on the stage. There's no enemies here, 
but you'll see all numbers on the screen from one to 10. Mm-hmm. And then you see two bombs. And if you collect the bombs, that adds more to your inventory. And then you have all these numbers you collect, and those are just points. If you collect a number, you times it by 100 at the end of the level, and that's what points you get. So um, you don't have much time to do this. You kind of have to move quickly, and it's a little bit tricky to control this guy. Mm -hmm. I think you could touch the wall, actually. I don't think you get fried like berserk. But the bombs, so you get a limited amount. I think we start with like two or three. The bombs will kill not the hoppers, but they'll kill the other enemies, the secondary enemies that are on the screen. Even though those enemies will regenerate anyway, but if you feel like you're almost dead, you can do that. It also stops the walls from closing in on you. So if you're just about to get crushed, mm-hmm. hit that, and then you have a little bit more time to beat the level. So it comes in handy, but they're very limited, so you can only get so far with it. I don't remember using any bombs when I tried this game out. <laughs> yeah, it's tricky because... I feel like, oh, I don't need to use the bombs because I can just kill the guys. Mm-hmm. But by the time I feel like I need to use the bomb, I'm like always too late when I hit the button because the enemy hits me. Yeah. But for times when the walls are close to you, which almost never really gets to that point, that is, I guess, the best reason to use one of those things. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But yeah, I found like the bombs not to be that useful, but maybe I just need to put... I mean, I'm not an expert, a Tasmanian <laughs> expert, you know? Maybe like... There are a high score Tasmania players out there that saying like, oh no, it's all about the bombs. Like you can't, <laughs> you can't beat this game unless you master the bomb, you know? You got to be a full Tasmaniac to, yeah, know, right? to know that. So a little other details about this. I mentioned how every stage has its own secondary enemy mm-hmm. and they also name the rooms after the enemy. So like, for instance, the first one is like the face room because you're fighting all the faces the second stage is called the evil eyeball room because you're fighting the evil eyeballs. Hmm. All these enemies have their own like attack patterns. So like the eyeballs bounce off the walls and they're a little bit tricky to hit because they come at weird angles at you. And because you can only shoot in eight ways, you know, you have to make sure they're not coming between like your two bullet shots. You know how like asteroids is like sometimes you get in that angle where you can't shoot the asteroid mm-hmm. to kind of like move your ship a little bit. Sure. So you get in those situations there's a enemy called Caterpillar, and they move around like Centipede, and then they turn into a butterfly, and then that attack pattern changes if you don't kill them quick enough. The Cyclotrons, which I think is a really cool name, uh, they, <laughs> they actually won't even move until you start shooting, but you have to start shooting. So mm-hmm. Each round, those enemies have a different amount of points. So like some of the later levels, when you have the Butterfly or the Tazmen... Uh, there's a stage where you fight Tasman (laughs) and uh, those are worth a hundred points. And then there's the ninth stage. So there's basically like nine stages. And on the ninth stage, you fight the hoppers, the secondary enemies. Mm -hmm. And those are worth 200 points. And then after that, the levels reset. So you go back to stage one again, but now they changed the name of it. So now everything's super. Whereas like the first time around, it was the eyeball room. And now it's the super eyeball room or the super phase room. Mm-hmm. That goes up to stage 19. I didn't get that far, so I don't know if the game just ends there or if it just loops around again. I don't know. I try to look online, but I didn't really see anything. Yeah, this doesn't seem like a particularly well-covered game. No, it's it's remarkably hard to find a lot of info about it. But um, I did find like the manual to the game and you know some other information about it. Uh, They do call the enemies nasties in the game. They don't call them, like, evil enemies or anything. Mm -hmm. The arcade cabinet is its own unique cabinet. It's kind of rare. It's one of the more rare cabinets, they said, according to online research. I believe it. Yeah. 
does keep high score. So the game was made in 1982, mm-hmm. and it was made by Stern, mm-hmm. makers of Berserk. This game looks old. Like, when I saw it in 1982, I'm like, I think it's 1980, personally. Uh-huh. But I kind of like it. I, I sort of, you know, I like these type of, what, top-down shooters, I guess? Mm-hmm. Like, Berserk-type games. I sort of wish the controls were a little bit better because of the whole moving and shooting sort of thing does get kind of weird, especially when the walls are a little bit close and you have a lot of enemies to kill still. But uh, I found myself playing it a bit to try to get some high scores. Mm-hmm. I've never seen this in the arcade before, whether it be back in my youth or, you know, arcade hopping these days, you know, trying to find arcades in museums and stuff. So I was curious if you ever heard of it, but it seemed like you were sort of in the dark about this game as well. Yeah, I'd never seen it until you were playing it. Yeah, right? <laughs> so I gave it a try, too, just to see how it played, and it was very bizarre. Yeah. Pretty much as you described it. Do you like it, or do you think it's kind of stupid? I don't know what to make of it. I can't tell how... Um, it's not one of those hidden gems, is it? Well... <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. I think I haven't really figured out like what's the right way to play this game yet, Yeah, from the limited times that I've tried to play it. I didn't either. I... I Kind of played it a lot. I put actually maybe like mm-hmm. two hours into it. And I think after like my first hour, I started realizing I was playing it wrong. And then I started getting a little bit further. I didn't use the bombs correctly. And I think I could probably do a little bit better going back to it now. But I, yeah, I definitely would agree with you. Mm-hmm. You know, these are old arcade games. <laughs> they want to suck your quarters out of your pocket. That's how it works. That's the formula. <laughs> Something like that. But I think it's just so funny when I find these weird old arcade games that somehow I, I just missed out on somehow. You know, it's like, here was this game that I probably seen like in my main list a million times, but either thought it was the Tasmanian like Warner Brothers character. Right. Or right. it just didn't sound like a game I would like. It must have been known enough to be included on Starcade. I mean, you would think if something's going to be put on that show that... It's sort Stark of had, out there. They occasionally had some obscure, like Munchmobile. I remember <laughs> that's where I learned about that game. But that was, ba- I remember seeing that back in the 80s. Uh-huh. And you don't see Munchmobile often, right? Not at all. Yeah. I think I've only seen it maybe once. Mm-hmm. That's why I like that old show, because it was, I, I learned about all these new arcade games and, you know. Right. There was no, like, books out in the stores where you can learn about arcade games anywhere, so. It's not the same, like, top 20 arcade games that you see everywhere. Yeah, I'm thinking now, there was a Coinop magazine, right? That covered maybe the industry? Yeah, if you were an arcade operator, maybe. I guess so. So, kind of cool. I don't think it ever got a home port, as far as I know. Not bad. Yeah. It's always fun to go meme diving sometimes to see what you find. Yeah, right. (laughs) Once in a while. Once Mm -hmm. in a while. But, have you picked up anything new lately? I did. From a convention a few weeks ago, there Another was Another convention? There was a video game, Con. Now, Con as in convention. Convention. Con as we conned you into coming here. Correct. Okay. Not as in convict. <laughs> Not as in convict. Got it. Right. This was, uh, you know, a local video game convention here in North Jersey. Mm-hmm. Growing, I think. I think it's like their third year, right? That's right. Mm-hmm. Okay. My only purchase at the show was a new book from... Author Leonard Herman, author of the Phoenix books, 
if you are familiar with those. Is it a new book, though? I thought it's just the same It's an update. Book. It's uh, revised content. So he okay. periodically will go back. I mean, I remember picking up the Phoenix books sometime in the mid-90s, and I guess it was like maybe the first or second edition back then. Wow, it's been that long, right? So, yeah. So this is called Phoenix 4, which I'm presuming means like the fourth major edition of is the book. Is it 4 or is it Roman numeral? It is Roman numeral 4. Okay. Yes. Uh, subtitled The History of the Video Game Industry. So as you might imagine from this title, it encompasses the entire history of the video game industry from its very beginnings to uh, its most recent. He's one of those people that's been following games since the beginning. Absolutely, yeah. He's done really in-depth research as well as pulled from his own personal experience. Yeah, and I, yeah, he owns quite a bit of a collection of stuff. Mm-hmm. As I understand it, I mean, he buys a lot of this stuff specifically so that he can include material about it in the books. He, he was also very close with Ralph Baer, so a lot of his brown box information oh, yeah. know, was hands-on experience. Mm-hmm. He's got a lot of books out there. One of them is all about Ralph Baer and his uh, beginnings Mm -hmm. and how basically video games came about, you know? Yeah. Right. So this book is huge. It is, uh, over 800 pages. Uh, I picked up the color hardcover edition, which I feel is the way to go on this one. Now when authors release updated editions of the same book, isn't that sort of like DLC for books? (laughs) Yeah. You could think of it that way. Because you have to rebuy the whole book, right? They don't just send you like the pages where you can stick in there. Yeah. I think the whole thing's been revamped here and there. So it's not like it's just new chapters. It's Mm -hmm. not just the new stuff. It's uh, fleshed out stuff about the old things, too. In the first editions of this, he did release a new volume or an update edition to Uh the main book. And I think he only did that once. But I wanted to get the new one. So that was pretty much what I came away from the show with. Very nice. Yeah. But uh, it's a hefty tome. Do so you know. think you'll read all 800 pages? <laughs> I'm going to work my way through it's it. It's like 8-point font, is it? No. It's pretty it's dense. Like, is pretty it dense? dense? Yeah. yeah I just thought it would be a lot of pictures. There's pictures here and there. Huh. Definitely a lot of photo content. Wow. Should I ask how much something like that goes for? I believe he's asking $80 okay. for the yeah. hardcover. And then there's also a soft cover for 40 Right. Which has black and white photos instead of the color. So mm-hmm. that was really the main reason I went for the hardcover. I guess that's not so bad for an 800-page book. Mm-hmm. I do like my video game books. You do? On occasion. You have quite a bit. Uh, a few. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, excellent. So I guess uh, we can wrap up with some feedback. Yeah, we do have some feedback this week. I will... Mention one from Raul Angel, who says, Tempest is my game. Totally stoked for T4K this holiday. Depending on release platforms, I might even be convinced to buy a current gen system just to play it. Mm. That is an option, (laughs) certainly. Yeah. I do believe the game is coming out for PC as well. So if he's got a gaming PC available, he can always play it that way. Probably say that's one of the better ways to play it. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Because it's probably not a graphically intensive game. Maybe it'll play on some of those windbooks too. <laughs> I can see that happening. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I think there has been some videos of this game going around. A yeah, bit. Jeff Minter, the guy who made this game, he leaked out some preview stuff, mm-hmm. and it looks like Tempest two thousand and three thousand. Yeah. And Tempest X, or whatever you want to call them, almost the same, really. I mean. He, 
from what I saw, but it's, maybe it's still early. And he's including a lot of the original music from the mm-hmm. game. And also he's including some audio tracks that were omitted from the original Jaguar game. Mm-hmm. So this could be pretty cool. Maybe this isn't really a sequel in the sense that it's doing something new and different. It's just a way to kind of bring that old game forward into the current gen. Yeah, almost like a remaster, sort mm-hmm. of. Yeah. But I, I wouldn't even know what you'd want to change because that game was really good. So mm-hmm. why go overboard with it? Sure. <laughs> I think it needs some Atari 2600 Activision samples like Pitfall. and mm-hmm. I like when he adds those goofy sounds from other games yeah like know. randomly in there i still don't know how he gets away with that Cheap noises uh-huh perfect uh-huh. Uh, hopefully this has some kind of spinner support too I that's a good point huh i don't know what control you would use to do that with but maybe Spin- i'm trying to think is there a spinner for the ps4 of any kind or for the pc for that matter well pc there's there are definitely spinner options but mm-hmm. for those console people mm. i don't think so right yeah, I, don't- I don't know Steering wheel, maybe, but that's you not just the have same. to use the thumbstick. It's uh, no good. No good. <laughs> All right. Well, you got to write well, it in. Actually, the uh, the bumpers, right? The LORs are analog, mm-hmm. so maybe that might work okay. Mm. But it's still not the same. Yeah, it'll take some getting used to. Mm, for sure. We had another comment also from Greg Izzy, who uh, mentions uh, about our discussion regarding uh, Tech TV and G four and where Starcade came from. Uh, he says, I had Ziff Davis TV, which became Tech TV for years on Comcast. Wow. So, yeah, actually, before Tech TV, Ziff Davis TV, or ZD TV, as it was called. I think I just vaguely remember that. Maybe mm-hmm. going over someone's house and seeing that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't have that channel at all. I think the only time I was exposed to that was uh, I had a friend who had, like, Direct TV, Satellite TV, mm-hmm. and they carried that channel, too. So he also says, I saw most of the old stuff, including the old Icon series. That was a great show. It was really good. Yeah. I think I have a few of those saved. I got to double check, maybe get an episode guide and figure out which ones I'm missing even. How come those aren't released officially? I think you can find them on YouTube, but as far as actual official releases, I don't even know who owns them these days. I guess whoever owns the old G4 content. Wow. Uh, he says, I eventually switched over to Fios after G4 had taken the channel over. Verizon didn't get the channel for a long time, but I too was bugging them to do so. And when they did, it was basically cops 24 <laughs> seven. Yeah. I had direct TV when G4 was kind of in its final days. I think direct TV ended up just dropping the channel completely. So I didn't even get to see like, some of the stuff that happened at the end towards the channel until I finally got optimum cable. Mm-hmm. And then they were almost gone by then. I think they were pretty much it was just done with Star Trek, next generation cops mm-hmm. and then attack of the show. And night. yeah, it's pretty much it. Maybe X play sometimes reruns of X. Eh, yeah. Even that show was done yeah, right. before the channel ended. Yeah. What a shame. That was uh, good stuff. Mm-hmm. That was really good. Well, tech TV was good. I liked it. Yeah. It had personality. Mm hmm. But a lot of those people went on and, and went on to work at a Revision 3 or something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. They started up a, kind of like a web network. I think that's still going. Mm-hmm. So stuff's out there if you still want to check out any of it. Can you get old tech TV episodes? The screensavers and stuff? You know, there was, a, I think, a project to save some of those yeah. episodes. I don't know. 
No, me either. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> it's been so long. All right, cool. Yep. Uh, so I guess uh, that's it for now. Leave us any comments or questions you might have on facebook.com slash our Brooklyn Bites. We'll see you later. Bye.